The Story of a Disappearance and an Appearance by M. R. James. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of a Disappearance and an Appearance by M. R. James. The letters which I will now publish were sent to me recently by a person who knows me to be interested in ghost stories. There is no doubt about their authenticity. The paper on which they are written, the ink, and the whole external aspect put their date beyond the reach of question. The only point which they do not make clear is the identity of the writer. He signs with initials only, and as none of the envelopes of the letters are preserved, the surname of his correspondent, obviously a married brother, is as obscure as his own. No further preliminary explanation is needed, I think. Luckily, the first letter supplies all that could be expected. Letter 1. Great Crystal, December twenty-second, 1837. My dear Robert, it is with great regret for the enjoyment I am losing, and for a reason which you will deplore equally with myself, that I write to inform you that I am unable to join your circle for this Christmas. But you will agree with me that this is unavoidable when I say that I have within these few hours received a letter from Miss Hunt at B., to the effect of uncle henry has suddenly mysteriously disappeared and begging me to go down there immediately and join the search that is being made for him little as i or you either i think have ever seen of uncle i naturally feel that this is not a request that can be regarded lightly and accordingly i propose to go to b by this afternoon's mail reaching it in the late evening i shall not go to the rectory but put up at the king's head and to which you may address the letter i enclose a small draft which you will please make use of for the benefit of the young people I shall write to you daily, supposing me to be tamed more than a single day, what goes on, and you may be sure, should the business be cleared up in time to permit of my coming to the manor after all, I shall present myself. I have but a few minutes at disposal, with cordial greetings to you all, and many regrets, believe me, your affectionate bro, W.R. Letter 2, King's Head, December twenty-third, thirty-seven. My dear Robert, in the first place, there is as yet no news of Uncle H, and I think you may finally dismiss any idea, I won't say hope, that I might, after all, turn up for Xmas. However, my thoughts will be with you, and you have best wishes for a really festive day. Mind that none of my nephews or nieces expend any fraction of their guineas on a present for me. Since I got here, I have been blaming myself for taking this affair of Uncle H too easily. From what people here say, I gather that there is very little hope that he can still be alive, but whether it is accident or design that carried him off, I cannot judge. The facts are these. On Friday the 19th, he went, as usual, shortly before five o'clock to read evening prayers at the church, and when they were over, the clerk brought him a message, in response to which he set off to pay a visit to a sick person in an outlying cottage the better part of two miles away. He paid the visit, and started on his return journey about half-past six. This is the last that is known of him. The people here are very much grieved at his loss. He had been here many years, as you know, though, as you also know, he was not the most genial of men, and had more than a little of the martinet in his composition. He seems to have been active in good works, and unsparing of trouble to himself. Poor Mrs. Hunt, who has been his housekeeper ever since she left Woodley, is quite overcome. It seems like the end of the world to her. I am glad that I did not entertain the idea of taking quarters at the rectory, and I have declined several kindly offers of hospitality from people in this place, preferring, as I do, to be independent and find myself very comfortable here. You will, of course, wish to know what has been done in the way of inquiry and search. First, nothing was to be expected from investigation at the rectory, and, to be brief, nothing has transpired. I asked Mrs. Hunt, as others had done before, whether there was either any unfavorable symptom in her master, such as might portent and a sudden stroke, or attack of illness, or whether he had ever had any reason to apprehend such a thing, but both she and his medical man were clear that this was not the case. He was quite in his usual health. 
in the second place naturally ponds and streams have been dragged and fields in the neighbourhood which he has known to have visited last have been searched without result i have myself talked to the parish clerk and more important have been to the house where he paid visit there can be no question of any foul play on these people's parts one man in the house is ill in bed and very weak the wife and children of course could do nothing themselves nor is there the shadow of probability that they or any of them should have agreed to decoy poor uncle h out in order that he might be attacked on the way back they had told what they knew to several other inquirers already but the woman repeated it to me the rector was looking just as usual he wasn't very long with the sick man he ain't she said like someone has a gift in prayer but there if we was all that way however would the chapel people get their living he left some money when he went away and one of the children saw him cross the stile into the next field he was dressed as he always was wore his bands i gather he is nearly the last man remaining who does so at any rate in this district <laughs> you see i am putting down everything the fact is that i have nothing else to do having brought no business papers with me and moreover it serves to clear my own mind and may suggest points which have been overlooked so i shall continue to write all that passes even to conversation if need be you may read or not as you please but pray keep the letters I have another reason for writing so fully, but it is not a very tangible one. You may ask if I have made myself any search in the fields near the cottage. Something a good deal has been done by others, as I mentioned, but I hope to go over the ground tomorrow. Bow Street has now been informed and will send down by tonight's coach, but I do not think they will make much of the job. There is no snow which might have helped us. The fields are all grass. Of course, I was on the Kiviv for any indication today, both going and returning but there was a thick mist on the way back and i was not in trim for wandering any unknown pastures especially on an evening when bushes looked like men and a cow lowing in the distance might have been the last trump i assure you if uncle henry had stepped out from among the trees in a little copse which borders the path at one place carrying his head under his arm i should have been very little more uncomfortable than i was to tell you the truth i rather was expecting something of the kind but i must drop my pen for the moment mr lucas the curate is announced later mr lucas has been and gone and there is not much beyond the decencies of ordinary sentiment to be got from him i can see that he has given up any idea that the rector can be alive and that so far as he can be is truly sorry i can also discern that even in a more emotional person than mr lucas uncle henry was not likely to inspire strong attachment besides mr lucas i have another visitor in the shape of my bonaclasse mine host of the king's head who came to see whether i had everything i wished and who really requires the pen of a boss to do him justice he was very solemn and weighty at first well sir he said i suppose we must bow our head beneath the blow as to my poor wife used to say so far as i can gather there's been neither hide nor yet hair of our late respected incumbent scented out as yet not that the, he was what the scripture terms as a hairy man in any sense of the word i said as well as i could that i suppose not but could not help in aiding that i heard he was sometimes a little difficult to deal with mr bowman looked at me sharply for a moment and then passed in a flash from solemn sympathy to impassioned declamation when i think he said of the language that man see fit to employ me here in this parlour over no more of a matter than a cask of beer such a thing as i told him might happen any day of the week to a man with a family though as it turned out he was quite under a mistake and that i knew at the time only that i was shocked to hear him i couldn't lay my tongue to the right expression he stopped abruptly and eyed me with some embarrassment i only said dear me i'm sorry to hear that you've had any little differences i suppose my uncle will be a good deal missed in the parish mr bowman drew a long breath ah yes he said your uncle you'll understand me when i say that for the moment it had slipped my remembrance that he was a relative and natural enough i must say as it should for you bearing any resemblance to to him the notion of any such thing is clean ridiculous all the same had i afforded my mind you'd be among the first to feel i'm sure as it should have stained my lips 
or rather i should not have esteemed my lips with no such reflections i assured him that i quite understood and was going to have asked for some further questions but he called away to see after some business by the way you need not take it in your head that he had anything to fear from the inquiry into poor uncle henry's disappearance though no doubt in the watches of the night it will occur to him that i think he has i may expect explanations to-morrow i must close this letter it has to go by the late coach letter three december twenty fifth thirty seven my dear robert this is a curious letter to be writing on christmas day and yet after all there is nothing much in it or there may be you shall be the judge at least nothing decisive the bow street men practically say they have no clue the length of time and the weather conditions have made all tracks so faint as to be useless nothing that belonged to the dead man i'm afraid no other world will do has been picked up as i expected mr bowman was uneasy in his mind this morning quite early i heard him holding forth in a distinct voice purposely so i thought to the bow street officers in the bar as to the loss that the town has sustained in their rector and as to the necessity of leaving no stone unturned he was very great on this phrase in order to come at the truth i suspect him of being an orator of repute at convivial meetings when i was at breakfast he came to wait on me and took an opportunity when handing a muffin to say in a low tone i hope sir that you recognize my feelings towards your relative is not actuated by any taint of what you may call malignity you can leave the room eliza i will see the gentleman as only requires with my own hands i ask your pardon sir but you must be well aware a man is not always a master of himself and when that man has been hurt in his mind by the application of expressions which i will go so far as to say had not ought to have been made use of his voice was rising this whole time and his face growing redder no sir and here if you will permit of it i should like to explain to you in very few words the exact state of the bone contention this cask i might make more truly call it a firkin of beer i felt it was time to interpose and i said that i did not see that it would help us very much to go into that matter in detail mr bowman acquiesced and resumed more calmly well sir i bow to your ruling and as you say be it here or be it there it don't contribute a great deal perhaps to the present question all i wish to you is to understand is that i am prepared as you are to yourself to lend every hand to the business we have before us and as i took the opportunity to say much to the officers not three-quarters of an hour ago to leave no stone unturned as may throw even a spark of light on this painful matter in fact mr bowman did accompany us on our exploration but though i am sure his genuine wish was to be helpful i am afraid he did not contribute to the serious side of it he appeared to be under the impression that we were likely to meet either uncle henry or the person responsible for his disappearance walking around the fields and did a great deal of shading his eyes with his hand and calling our attention by pointing with his stick to the distant cattle and laborers he had several long conversations with old women whom we met and was very strict and severe in his manner but on each occasion returned to our party saying well i find she didn't seem to have no connection with that sad affair I think you may take it from me sir that there is little or no light to be looked on from that quarter not without she's keeping something back intentionally we gain no appreciable results as i told you at starting the bowman street have left the town whether for london or not i am not sure this evening i had company in the shape of a bagman a smartish fellow he knew what was going forward but though he had not been on the roads for some days about here he had nothing to tell of suspicious characters tramps wandering sailors or gypsies he was very full of capital punch and judy show and he had seen the same day at you and he asked if he had been here yet and advised me by no means to miss it if he does come the best punch and the best toby dog he said he had ever come across toby dogs you know are the last new thing in shows i have only seen one myself but before long all the men will have them now why will you want to know do i trouble write this all of you i am obliged to do so because it has something to do with another absurd trifle as you will inevitably say 
in which my present state of rather unquiet fancy nothing more perhaps i have to put down it is a dream sir which i am going to record and i must say it is one of the oddest i've ever had is there anything in it beyond what the bagman's talk and uncle henry's disappearance could have suggested you i repeat shall judge i am not in sufficient cool and judicial frame to do so it began with what i can only describe as a pulling aside of curtains and i found myself seated in a place i don't know whether indoors or out there were people only a few on either side of me but i did not recognize them or indeed think much about them they never spoke but so far as i remember we were all grave and pale-faced and looked fixedly before them facing me there was a punch and judy show perhaps rather larger than the ordinary ones painted with black figures on reddish-yellow ground behind it and on each side was only darkness but in front there was a sufficiency of light i was strung up to a high degree of expectation and listened every moment to hear the panpipes and the rutu to it instead of that there came suddenly an enormous i can use no other word an enormous single toll of a bell i don't know from how far off somewhere behind the little curtain flew up and the drama began i believe someone once tried to rewrite punch as a serious tragedy but whoever he may have been this performance would have suited him exactly there was something satanic about the hero he varied his methods of attack for some of his victims he lay in wait to see his horrible face it was yellowish-white i may remark peering round the wings that made me think of the vampire in fusili's foul sketch to others he was polite and carneying particularly to the unfortunate alien who can only say shalabalda though what punch said i could never catch but with all of them i came to dread the moment of death the crack of the stick on their skulls which in ordinary ways delights me here had a crushing sound as if the bone was giving way and the victims quivered and kicked as they lay the baby it sounds more ridiculous as i go on the baby i am sure was alive punch wrung its neck and if the choke or squeak which it gave were not real i know nothing of reality the stage got perceptibly darker as each crime was consummated and at last there was one murder which was done quite in the dark so that i could see nothing of the victim but it took some time to effect it was accompanied by hard breathing and horrid muffled sounds after it punch came out and sat on the footboard and fanned himself and looked at his shoes which were bloody and hung his head on one side and sniggered in so deadly a fashion that i saw some of those beside me cover their face and i would have gladly done the same but in the meantime the scene behind punch was clearing and showed not the usual house front but something more ambitious a grove of trees and the gentle slope of a hill with a very natural in fact i should say real moon shining on it over this there rose slowly an object which i soon perceived to be a human figure with something peculiar about the head what i was unable to at first see it did not stand on its feet but began creeping or dragging itself across the middle distance towards punch who still sat back to it and by this time i may remark though it did not occur to me at the moment that all pretence of this being a puppet show had vanished punch was still punch it is true but unlike the others it was in some sense a live creature and both themselves moved at their own will when i next glanced at him he was sitting in malignant reflection but in another instant something seemed to attract his attention and he first sat up sharply and then turned round and evidently caught sight of the person that was approaching him and was in fact now very near then indeed he showed his unmistakable signs of terror catching up his stick he rushed towards the wood only just eluding the arm of his pursuer which was suddenly flung out to intercept him it was with a revulsion which i cannot easily express that i now saw more or less clearly what this pursuer looked like he was a sturdy figure clad in black and as i thought wearing bands his head was covered with a whitish bag the chase which now began lasted i do not know how long now among the trees now along the slope of the field sometimes both figures disappearing wholly for a few seconds and only some uncertain sounds letting one know that they were still afoot 
at length there came a moment when punch evidently exhausted staggered in from the left and threw himself down amongst the trees his pursuer was not long after him and came looking uncertainly from side to side then catching sight of the figure on the ground he too threw himself down his back was turned to the audience with a swift motion twitched the covering from his head and thrust his face into that of punch everything on the instant grew dark there was one loud long shuddering scream and i awoke to find myself looking straight into the face of what in all the world do you think but a large owl which was seated on my window-sill immediately opposite my bed-foot holding up its wings like two shrouded arms i caught the fierce glance of its yellow eyes and then it was gone i heard the single enormous bell again very likely as you are saying to yourself the church clock but i do not think so and then i was brought awake all this i may say happened within the last half hour there is no probability of my getting to sleep again so i got up put on clothes enough to keep me warm and am riding this rigmarole in the first hours of christmas day have i left out anything yes there was no toby dog and the names over the front of the punch and judy booth were kidman and gallop which were certainly not what the bagman told me to look out for by this time i feel a little more as if i could sleep so this shall be sealed and wafered letter four december twenty sixth thirty seven my dear robert all is over the body has been found i do not make excuses for not having sent off my news by last night's mail for the simple reason that i was incapable of putting pen to paper the events that attended the discovery bewilder me so completely that i needed what i could get of a night's rest to enable me to face the situation at all now i can give you my journal of the day certainly the strangest christmas day that i ever spent or am likely to spend the first incident was not very serious mr bowman had i think been keeping christmas eve and was little inclined to be captious but at least he was not on foot very early and to judge from what i could hear neither men nor maids could do anything to please him the latter were certainly reduced to tears nor am i sure that mr bowman succeeded in preserving a manly composure at any rate when i came downstairs it was in a broken voice that he wished me the compliments of the season and a little later on when he paid his visit of ceremony at breakfast he was far from cheerful even byronic i might say in his outlook on life i don't know he said if you think with me sir but every christmas as comes round the world seems a horrible thing to me why take an example now from what lays under my own eye there's my servant eliza been with me now going on fifteen years i thought i could have placed my confidence in eliza and yet this very morning christmas morning too of all the blessed days in the year with bells a-ringing and 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 all like that i say this very morning had it not been sir providence watching over us that girl would have put indeed i may go as far to say had put the cheese on your breakfast table he saw i was about to speak and waved his hand at me it is all very well for you to say yes mr bowman you took away the cheese and locked it up in the cupboard which i did and have the key here or if not the actual key one very much about the same size that is true enough sir but what do you think is the effect of that action on me why it's no exaggeration for me to say that the ground is cut from under my feet and yet when i say as much to eliza not nasty mind you but just firm like what was my return oh she says well she says there was no bones broke i suppose well sir it hurt me that's all i can say it hurt me i don't like to think of it now there was an ominous pause here in which i ventured to say something like yes very trying and then asked at what hour the church service was to be eleven o'clock mr bowman said with a heavy sigh ah you won't have no such discourse from poor mr lucas as to what you would have done from our late rector him and me may have had our little differences and did do more's the pity i could see that a powerful effort was needed to keep him off the vexed question of the cask of beer but he made it but i will say this that a better preacher nor yet one to stand faster by his rights or what he considered to be his rights however that is not the question for now i for one never set under 
some might say was he an eloquent man and to that my answer would be well there you've a better right perhaps to speak of your own uncle than what i have others might ask did he keep a hold of his congregation and there i should reply that depends but as i say yes eliza my girl i'm coming eleven o'clock sir and you inquire for king's head pew i believe eliza had been very near the door and shall consider it in my veil the next episode was church i felt mr lucas had a difficult task in doing justice to the christmas sentiments and also to the feeling of disquiet and regret which whatever mr bowman might say was clearly prevalent i do not think he rose to the occasion i was uncomfortable the organ wolved you know what i mean the wind died twice in the christmas hymn and the tenor bell i suppose owing to some negligence on the part of the ringers kept sounding faintly about once in a minute during the sermon the clerk sent a man up to see it but he seemed unable to do much i was glad when it was over there was an odd incident too before the service i went in rather early and came upon two men carrying a parish beer back to its place under the tower from what i overheard them saying it appeared that it had been put out by mistake by someone who was not there i also saw the clerk busy folding up a moth-eaten velvet pall not a sight for christmas day i dined soon after this and then feeling disinclined to go out took my seat by the fire in the parlour with the last number of pickwick which i had been saving up for some days i thought i could be sure of keeping awake over this but i turned out as bad as our friend smith i suppose it was half-past two when i was rousing by a piercing whistle and a laughing talking voices outside in the market-place it was a punch and duty i had no doubt that the one the bagman had seen at w i was half delighted half not the latter because my unpleasant dream came back to me so vividly but anyhow i determined to see it through and i sent eliza out with a crown piece to the performers and a request that they would face my window if they could manage it the show was a very smart new one the names of the profiteers i need hardly tell you were italian forresta and calpiggy the toby dog was there as i had been led to expect all be turned out and did not obstruct my view for i was at the large first floor window and not ten yards away the play began on the stroke of a quarter to three by the church clock certainly it was very good and i was soon relieved to find that the disgust my dream had given me for punch's onslaughts on his ill-starred visitors was only transient i laughed at the demise of the turncock the foringer and the beetle and even the baby the only drawback was the toby dog was developing a tendency to howl in the wrong place something has occurred i suppose to upset him and something considerable for i forgot exactly at what point he gave the most lamentable cry and leapt off the footboard and shot away from the market-place down a side street there was a stage wait but only a brief one i suppose the men decided that it was no good going after him and that he was likely to turn up again at night we went on punch dealt faithfully with judy and in fact with all comers and then it came the moment when the gallows was erected and the greatest scene with mr ketch was to be enacted it was now that something happened of which i can certainly not yet see the import fully you have witnessed an execution and know what the criminal's head looks like with the cap on if you are like me you never wish to think of it again and i do not willingly remind you of it it was just such a head as that that i from my somewhat higher post saw inside of the show-box but at first the audience did not see it i expected it to emerge into their view but instead of that there slowly rose for a few seconds an uncovered face which the expression of terror upon it of which i have never imagined the like it seemed as if the man whoever he was was being forcibly lifted with his arms somehow pinioned or held back towards the little gibbet on stage i could just see the night-capped head behind him and then there was a cry and a crash the whole show-box fell over backwards kicking legs were seen amongst the ruins and then two figures as some said i can only answer for one were visible running at top speed across the square and disappearing into the lanes which leads to the fields of course everybody gave chase 
I followed, but the pace was killing, and very few were in, literally, at the death. It happened in a chalk pit. The man went over the edge quite blindly and broke his neck. They searched everywhere for the other until it occurred to me to ask whether he had ever left the marketplace. At first, everyone was sure that he had, but when we came back to look, he was there under the showbox, dead too. But in the chalk pit, it was that poor Uncle Henry's body was found, with a sack over the head, throat horribly mangled. It was peeked in the corner of the sack, sticking out of the soil that attracted attention. I cannot bring myself to write in greater detail. I forgot to say the men's real names were Kidman and Gallop. I felt sure that I have heard them, but no one else here seems to know anything about them. I am coming to you as soon as I can after the funeral. I must tell you when we meet what I think of it all. End of The Story of a Disappearance and an Appearance by M. R. James